Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trans-Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and with me today is Dylan of the YouTube channel and also Twitter account and presumably other things, Boyform. Hello. Hello. Hi. I meant to ask if you have a last name that you like to include in your, like, internet persona, but I made the assumption. I made so many assumptions already tonight. No, it's it's okay. I, I've... I've decided not to use my real last name, uh, at least in association with the Boyform channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I have told everyone that my middle name is Clark, and that's just as functional a last name. So if you want to use Dylan ah, Clark, then that's Dylan fine. Clark, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have a fake last name uh, for my internet persona. Believe it or not, Zedig is not actually my Christian name. Oh man. But I don't I don't have a Christian name because I am not a Christian. Right, but there's a there's a whole ass other Sarah Zed. Can I say ass? Yes, you can okay. you can say you can say as many asses as you like. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what do you do, Dylan? I am a video essayist. Primarily, uh, at least as far as my YouTube channel, which is my primary endeavor at the moment, uh, I make videos about being a trans man and specific uh, circumstances that that trans men go through and media that's sort of FTM adjacent uh, and also just kind of about masculinity in, in general and how to define masculinity as as separate from what we what we know as toxic masculinity. Yeah. I found you, I think same as a lot of people uh through your response to con- the Contrapoints manhood video. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think you and I both have a complicated history with uh Mrs. Points. Miss um, Points. Miss yes. Points. <laughs> Which we can I at this point I'm enough on the record that I'm okay with talking about it to whatever extent you're okay talking about it but we also do not have to touch it at all because it's sort of a radioactive subject on the internet. It seems to have cooled down a little bit lately well, but it's it's been this exhausting endeavor. It it definitely has and I have been I've been more vocal about my opinions on it on Twitter than I have mm-hmm. on my YouTube channel. I've I've started trying to trying to distance myself from that because because like you said a lot of the people who have found my channel found me through my response to contrapoints and my channel's honestly not that much like hers and right. i don't i don't just want to be associated with contrapoints and like constantly making videos about contra, contrapoints um but it, uh i can talk about the men video yeah Sorry, we should uh, say like what this video is. So this is for people who may have pieced out of the ContraPoint sphere a while back. Right. Her her men was her video about men, and all I really remember from it, it's it's not it's definitely not her best video. It it feels like rhetorically kind of meandering to me. Yeah, it's way too long, and it says yeah. very little. Yeah, the the main thing that I remember is her saying that uh there need we need to come up with a new idea, like a new conceptualization of manhood that mm. isn't like toxic and bad, but that she is in no position to propose what that might be as somebody who is uh trans feminine, which 
that's sort of like, then why did you make the video in the first place? Yeah. Part of what, what I found so frustrating about it is, uh, there's a whole segment. I think it's like part two or part three of her script or something where she's like, it's not like you can just switch genders and see what it's like from both sides or can you? And then she talks about, you know, her experience as a trans woman and how she, started identifying more as a woman when she started not really understanding manhood anymore. And I was like, that's, that's a cool perspective. And I think, I think that trans women definitely have a unique perspective on what manhood is, but that's also not necessarily the most relevant thing you could have said, right? Like, because trans men are a thing, which doesn't get brought up in the men video at all. Like not even Mm -hmm. an offhand comment. That's like, uh-huh, you guys don't know that trans men exist. They exist, don't forget. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, obviously, like, we had to make a conscious decision to not be women and instead, like, pick a boy's name and go by he, him pronouns and try to be what a man is. And, you know, we're not all trying to be fucking Gavin McInnes. Right. Like, there, there already is something that's already something that we've done a lot of thinking about and uh i i just thought i could come to a stronger <laughs> conclusion than she did yeah and i i i i believe that you did um thank you i i found that video so frustrating because yeah like uh, trans men do exist and there's also just generally the fact of that different conceptions of masculinity also exist. Right. And like, this is not something that feminism has failed to account for. This is, this has been the ongoing conversation of like gender studies for decades. And it, it, it's just, it's just, it's just weird. It's just a weird sort of thing. And it, I think a, a lot of, a lot of her, recent videos have been showing her blind spots mm-hmm. and this has been uh the source of uh a, a a big part of the controversy about her but we're we're not here to talk about contrapoints right but since you since you were talking about blind spots i get a lot of comments on that on that response video telling me that like i shouldn't have expected contrapoints to bring it up because she's not a trans man and she doesn't know what it's like and on one hand, I'm like, okay, I kind of understand that. Also, I did make a video. If you watched it, you're you're in the comments, so I assume you you saw it. So I am speaking oh, bold for myself. Assumption. <laughs> yeah, bold assumption that people leaving comments on YouTube videos have watched the video they're commenting on. I guess that's true, but you know, that's that's well, part of what I find so. Uh, I guess it's not really frustrating. I I love the the conversation on queer theory that's happening in, in sort of the left tube space. Uh, the, the way that people are, are talking about transgender issues in a way that's a lot more complicated and more, uh, more in depth than the, than the trans 101 stuff mm-hmm. uh, and getting more into like the f- philosophical implications of what it means to be transgender. And I think that, I don't think it can be disputed that that conversation is being led by trans women uh, you know, like yourself, who are 
very, very eloquent and very well thought out on the subject. And it's not that trans men and trans women have nothing in, in common. We worry about a lot of the same shit. But I think we worry about probably like 40% of the same shit. And yeah. there's, you know, this whole depth of experience that, you know, trans women are never going to experience. They can hear about it secondhand. But when when I bring up that no one is no one is talking about it, like you're talking about trans issues, but you're not talking about things like uh, access to abortion, which is something that trans men may need. And yeah. uh, then the response I get is like, well, uh, you, you wouldn't really want someone who's not from that community to speak for you. And what I hear what I hear when people say that is. Uh, I don't know anything about trans men and I don't trust myself to do the research. So I was like, okay, you want me to tell you? I'll tell you. Yeah. I have a DSLR. Let's go. <laughs> right. I, I, I really loathe that uh, particular perspective because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, experiences with regards to race that I will never have or understand. Yes. But I still bring them up in my videos. I'll still say, like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not out here, you know, shouting from the rooftops for, for minutes upon minutes at a time about race issues because I, I try to stay in my lane in a general sense. But I also bring it up where it's relevant. I don't need to be an expert on the subject to just like say like, hey, this is also an aspect of the experience and just have it be in the consciousness of the viewer. Like, Literally in in the ContraPoints video that I was responding to, she she talks about the experience of black men and she is not mm -hmm. a black man. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think I just realized this. I'm, I'm just staring at your channel because I wanted to have in the forefront of my mind which videos you've done okay. and not not that i don't remember <laughs> which videos are yours just like <laughs> I, I i have i have so many different it's been a busy month for me <laughs> no it's okay i just thought that was a a funny way to word it yeah i i'm very good at wording things in ways that make people raise their eyebrows like are you insulting me oh are, are you, you like giving a, me a compliment i don't know uh <laughs> that's that's something that's a way to put it um I, I go into trances and then I wake up with having written a hundred thousand words of Homestuck fan fiction. Uh, I weird, weirdly enough, I feel like you and I, as far as our YouTube experience, have this this connection in the sense that the most popular video on your channel is about contrapoints. And up until uh, earlier this year, so was mine. And like a video defending ContraPoints was actually uh, the video that like sent my channel up in a big way. Like it crossed a hundred thousand views when mm -hmm. just about everything else of mine was still in the the hundreds or thousands. Yeah, before before I posted that video, I had like two hundred subscribers, and now I have something like sixty five hundred at time of recording. Yeah, you do. Yeah. That's a weird feeling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, getting getting like 5,000 people to subscribe to your channel out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Like, no, I have I... to be a content creator now. Like, before that, my last video had been like seven months prior. And now that I was actually gaining subscribers and views at like an alarming rate, I was like, I have to 
make videos on the on the month now. Like people yeah. people need this. They actually they actually are acknowledging that this is a voice that's missing. And now I feel yes. like I have a responsibility to keep talking. Uh, yeah. I I I guess I had the advantage in that I had been trying to do YouTube more consistently for a while at that point. Like for for over for yeah, over a year at that point. Mm-hmm. that's I, I can imagine the kind of pressure that that puts on on you for like your your second proper video essay to be the one the one that shoots you up in that regard because like for me when when natalie retweeted my video it went from 800 subscribe i went from 800 subscribers to like seven thousand in like the course of a week yeah, it, yeah. it wasn't like something like direct acknowledgement from natalie that shot my channel up though it was no that she deleted her twitter five days after i posted it mm-hmm. uh so i i have i'm always gonna like i'm always gonna have to know that the only reason that my channel got big all of a sudden was because people were you know typing in her name and finding my video and it it feels it feels bad to get big off the back of something terrible happening like that Mm -hmm. like no matter how i feel about why she was you know quote unquote canceled or whatever yeah but i I, yeah i'm very familiar with that exact emotion yeah (laughs) the thing is it's a genuinely good video and all of your videos are very good your your essay about boys don't cry is legitimately one of my favorite video essays of the last like six or seven months. Oh my God. Thank you. I've, I've watched it a couple of times because it's, it's, it's a hard watch, but that's a movie that I've always, I I haven't like, I haven't watched it in a a while, but I've always had weird, complicated feelings about it. And seeing your side of, of that same kind of mixed emotion. And because I kind of feel, I have, I have a similar feeling about, probably like a lot of uh, trans women about movies like Hedwig and the Angry Inch or Rocky Horror Picture Show, where on the one hand, like there's the surface level. Obviously, this is deeply problematic and has so many issues in terms of casting and uh, how the subject matter itself is executed. But also it's like some of the only representation that is available and you you kind of can't help but develop an attachment to it, especially when you watch it when you're like younger, when there's nothing else out there. Right. Well, uh, I'm I'm very young, which is I, uh, I'm 24, which I know okay. is probably older than some of my viewers thought that I was. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that movie came out in 1999. I was I was four years old when it came out. Uh so I I didn't see it when it came out. That's not right. a movie that's appropriate for a four year old. No, um, no. Which is why I I told that story about my grandmother so I could, uh, <sighs> so I could say like this is the context I had for the violent and scary reality of of being transgender before the turn of the millennium, and I I didn't go into detail on some of those stories, but they were rough. They were really bad. And so, like, I know how uncomfortable it is to watch someone who looks like you get hate crimed, but I can also respect that that is a real thing that was actually happening all the time, and people didn't know about it. 
what I what I found, but I, I bring up that I'm so so young because I I don't know what the political climate actually was like at that time. All I have is like hearsay. Yeah. Um, and I've I've been getting comments from from people who are older who remember that movie coming out and remembering what it was really like, and there there really was like a a border war going on between trans men and butch lesbians at the time. And, you know, Brandon Tino was like actually caught in the crossfire of that in a very, very real way. Because I mean, like when you've got women, when you've got women who are, who are lesbians, who are doing this, doing this radical thing by like wearing boys clothes and cutting their hair and wearing binders and going by butchier names and sometimes using he, him pronouns, and then you've got people who are more accurately described by, you know, being called a transgender man. Like, what actually is the difference? Uh, like, where, where are you uh, experiencing the same obstacles? Where are you experiencing different obstacles? It was so, so hard to distinguish between those two things. And they both wanted Brandon to be a symbol for them. Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I can see how that would be extremely complicated politically. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I'm i trying to think of... I feel like th- there's some part of my brain that's like, oh, that's reminding me of somebody, but I can't think of who anymore. Hannah Gadsby, maybe? Maybe. There's things that mm-hmm. Hannah Gadsby said in Nanette that, you know, really got me, especially because, you know, she has that bit about how uh, there are apparently some people in like her Twitter ments who are trying to get her to come out as a trans man or something. That is not chill. I don't think that's chill for the record. But yeah, you know, she, she does talk about that sort of weird gray area between being a butch lesbian and between being a trans man. I think that's why there are so many AFAB non-binary people like there are lots and lots and lots of AFAB non-binary people who yeah. like definitely don't identify with being women, but there's no way they can identify as men, <laughs> you know, like, cause being, being a man is equally restrictive and right. equally, equally caricatured, possibly even more so. Certainly in terms of, uh, in terms of expression, like self-expression, I would say masculinity is a lot more limiting because your 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 palate in general is just microscopic. Yeah, all you got to do is walk into a, a department store to see this. I'm pretty sure in in my men response, I have I have this line about how it it shouldn't be shameful for men to shop for clothes in in the women's section because men's business clothes are literally just getting you to dress up as a soldier they're putting they're putting you in a uniform yeah somehow i had missed this but i think one of my previous guests or somebody that i've talked to in the past had pointed out that there is the stereotype of like non-binary people is just another word for transmasculine, uh which is which is inherently like offensive to me uh but i i i have now that I've been like, paying attention, I see like, yeah, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of trans masculine people who identify as non-binary. And some of them don't like being called trans masculine because yeah. that's, that's how much they're not men. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the terminology is, is 
I think is just going to be an eternal struggle no matter what, because there it's all loaded language. Definitely. This is something that I've noticed. I've wondered about this for a while. The, the fact that trans women in a general sense, we have to be out in public and being our own advocates all the time. And yet trans men, it feels like the 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 public trans masculine figure seems to be very rare well there there are there are trans men who are in public but they're they don't have the same like high level of platform that like a Caitlyn Jenner or a Laverne Cox has i think when it comes to when it comes to trans actors there just is more of a precedent in in cinema to depict trans women because that's what's been sensationalized more in our culture Mm -hmm. and people think that's going to sell more tickets there's been this rise in the bread tube left tube video essayist sphere of of, uh young leftist voices and of course i am a part of this looking around and trying my hardest to pay attention to new voices and to to boost people uh, it struck me how few transmasculine people have been among that number. There are there are multitudes of reasons for that. There's there are multitudes, and none of them are going to apply to everyone. Like none of it's going to be all inclusive. Um, when it when it comes to the like having to prove yourself, like the the way that trans women do to have to you know be hyper feminine and you know, you know what it is. Yeah. That, I mean, there's not really as much of that culture in, in the transmasculine sphere. I do find that I and a lot of other trans men are more, we're more likely to tell someone we're trans to get them to think about our gender in the right headspace than to tell them that we're men. Hmm. Right. Because, you know, I'm, I'm five foot five, I'm a hundred pounds. I am very much like a a twink. I've got this performative uh, (laughs) vocal style. I'm very gay. I'm very gay. One time I asked my, my coworker, uh, well, she was clowning on like our straight coworker saying like, you look, you look gay with your clothes or whatever. And I was like, do I look gay? And she just laughed at me. Um, (laughs) Huh. But, like, but I, I feel like if, if I say I'm a man, I don't look or act enough like a man. But if I say I'm trans, they're like, okay, I, I, I get it, sort of. Like, it, it seems easier for people in, in some ways to, to think of me as trans than to think of me as a man. So there, but there's kind of, like, a weird sort of, Obviously, proving yourself as a man is, like, a huge part of male culture. Like, becoming a man is a huge part of male culture. Like, becoming from a boy to a man. Yeah. Uh, and in, in some ways, I feel the need to, to perform to that. Like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll open the jar. I'll fucking... I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll carry the suitcase, you know? Uh, but right. when it comes to the whole, like, you gotta be, you gotta be stoic and never cry uh there's there's no way i can do that and the way i get out of that is by saying like i'm transgender i'm literally going through puberty and menopause at the same time give me a break right and when it when it comes to to trans men on youtube 
there there are quite a few of them. You've yes. got, you know, your your Jamie Dodgers and your Ty Turners and your Jackson Birds. Uh they're all white. Uh and they all pretty much make the same kind of content that doesn't really go as much in the philosophical or, or political fucking political direction that I want it to. Um, yeah. I've, this is something I've also noticed is that I've, I've gone looking for uh trans masculine uh, YouTubers and I, there is, there is, there, there are a number of them who seem pretty good, but they're all more like lifestyle vlog type things yeah because they a lot of them started youtube more in like 2012 and 2013 and that's just what the content mm, was yeah. that was getting front paged but you know i started this year so people are <laughs> telling me that i'm bread tube <laughs> <laughs> right how do you feel about that uh i don't think any of my content has gotten very socialist or communist uh at yeah. all but i mean obviously I'm very focused on on the transgender issues right now, and that's definitely an an issue that I am a more left leaning example of, but like a very much more left leaning example of. It's not that I'm not a leftist because I am. It's just I am probably not going to be making political content. Like I'm I'm more I'm more of a Jack Saint. Like, the more videos I make, the more I realize, like, I'm literally just Jack Saint, but trans and without the degree. Uh, <laughs> just just picking a, a movie or an album or, like, a book or a TV show or something and giving, like, a, a perspective that includes, you know, my political and philosophical reality. Uh, and I, I think that that is something that the left needs to hear and and know about because it's a it's a gap in the conversation over there that's that's not being filled and it's because of lack of information and i have the information yeah but you know when it comes to like making calls to action i don't i don't know if i'm ever really going to do that yeah i have felt for a while that the the like moniker of uh bread tube quote-unquote is is way too liberally applied because mm -hmm. it, it it kind of has just come to mean People who make video essays who are not assholes, it seems yeah. to be. Like, people like, who that's don't, fine. Yeah, people, you're, you're a bread tuber if you make video essays on the internet and you don't call for genocide. <laughs> I guess so. But fuck YouTube. What else do you do? What's your life? How, how are you? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. What else do I do? Uh, well, yeah, if I'm, there's well, anything, I'm, I'm going through an intense period of change in my life. Like, uh, I, I dropped out of college a couple of years ago, but when I was going, I was going for, uh, art thinking I was going to be like an, an animator or a cartoonist or like a, a comic book artist or something. Uh, and then I broke my wrist and it never healed right. So I don't draw anymore. Oh, uh, no. so my my career path is extremely nebulous at the moment. Right now, I pretty much just have time for the YouTube videos that I'm making and uh, my day job as a bartender at a movie theater, which is well oh. and good because it gives me free movies. Oh. And I may sometimes talk about them. Nice. God, well, that sucks about your wrist. Um... I know. I know. It, it happened a long time. I'm done having an existential crisis about it. You don't need to feel bad for me. 
I just I just became a writer instead. Yeah, I mean, don't we all? Uh, you've you're how long have you been on HRT? Um, for I think probably fourteen months now. I started August. I started the last day of August last year. Okay. Uh, how has that been for you? What 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 specifically do you do? Um, I do intramuscular injections in the leg. Uh, it the testosterone comes in a little tiny vial uh, that's like thirty dollars and has two doses in it. And uh, because I've been I've been having a lot of side effects like uh, acne and and mood swings and uh, some uterus stuff uh, and. So my my dose for this whole past year has been fluctuating a lot because they're trying to figure out what dose they can get me on where I have the fewest side effects. But I'm taking it every every 10, 10 days now. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about my medical transition in my next video. Uh, the script uh -huh. for it has been finished. It's going to be called Men's Gynecology. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, because there's there's a lot that I did not know about going into transition <laughs> with regards to how hard it would be to deal with having ovaries while being on a high dose of testosterone. But it's I'm I'm really excited for that video to come out. Uh, it's going to be very personal and it's not really going to be anything like the the media analysis that I've been doing but it's it's the exact it's exactly the kind of thing no one talks about that I think people should be talking about uh yeah but... <laughs> that sounds incredible uh I I definitely am looking forward to that um yeah I haven't really thought about the visual aspect of the video at all I just kind of like <laughs> wrote the whole script and I'm like well I guess I need to start filming something now <laughs> um. <laughs> right hmm hmm i feel like i had another question i can't remember what it was well we haven't talked about the uh the dorian electra video that's true yeah yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> talk about the dorian electra video <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> all right Before we get to all the rest of the bits, let's talk about some other podcasts on the Lunar Light Studio Network. First up is Artificial Ghost Radio. It is a music recommendation game show hosted by Quizkeeper Miles Lazarus and Tomb Dweller Mars Garbayo. Each week they challenge each other to find songs based on completely arbitrary themes and discuss them while making goofs along the way. They spin the Wheel of Discord, said in a dramatic voice, oh wait, that's voice direction, <laughs> to talk about a random song from the Challenger's library. Any song. You can find Artificial Ghost Radio every Saturday on LunarLightStudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, I left in the bit that informed you that I was reading ad copy. I am unprofessional, and you're just going to have to live with it. The other podcast I want to tell you about is Overwitch. It's one of the best casual gaming show news sources out there, sure. The only video game podcast is what I've heard, allegedly. Your three best friends talk about a video game and have fun goofs along the way. 
When their discussion comes to a close, they decide if the featured game is worth continuing or if it's game over. So they basically choose a game and say whether or not they would rather play it than Overwatch. It's hosted by Ray Terrence and Joe. And of course, you can find it every other Friday on LearnLightStudio.com or wherever else you get your podcasts. Now, on to the rest of the bits of the episode. I love Dorian Electra very, very much uh, because I, I loved Pop 2 and I loved Fembot because I, ha- I have like a robot thing. I fucking love robots. Uh, it's anything that has to do with robots, I'm like into it. Hell yeah. Robots are cool. That's part of why I ended up being like Striderkin when I read ah. like Like ask me, ask me what my class spec is. What's your class spec? Knight of Heart. Oh no! There it is. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Like, <laughs> okay, all right. But, uh, no, listen, 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 listen. Oh, here we I, go. I know I was. I know I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be talking about the video, but it's it's happening. Uh, We're doing it. So my my first introduction to like actually seeing a trans man and and knowing that's a thing that exists and it's a thing that you can be. It it wasn't it wasn't boys don't cry and it wasn't like porn it was bro strider cosplayers on tumblr oh wow trans dudes loved bro strider they they loved him so much uh and it it's like when you when you first start reading homestuck you're like god i love dave he's so cool (laughs) (laughs) god yeah it's true uh and you know if you're if you're a closeted trans man you're like god i really identify with dave a lot and you know he's got he's got this strong male role model who's very masculine etc and then dave's whole story has everything to do with masculine masculinity and and heroism and you know homosexuality and then by by the time act five comes around you're like i wonder why i project on dave so much uh and then roxy shows up and you're like oh thank god i can stay closeted and identify with her and then the epilogues happen (laughs) and then the epilogues on you bitch yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, but but even as even as Dirk, like as much as Dave's story is about masculinity, like you take a character like Dirk who's got the heart aspect and he is constantly trying to find the perfect version of himself, trying to be the perfect version of himself and having these arguments with himself in his in his head like I'm the ideal Dirk, I'm the autoresponder and he's like no, I'm Alpha Dirk, I'm Prime Dirk and he kills them. One he kills little aspects of himself one by one until they all all fuse into one man who's alone who wants so badly to take control of his narrative and then once he has it, he doesn't know what he's going to do with it. There's a lot in there that definitely reads different if you're trans hmm interesting yeah and that that fascination with sort of like pretty boy anime boy masculinity is another trans thing which i was probably going to go into if i ever made a video about uh how much i love k-pop boys ah well of course now andrew hussey is an e-boy who (laughs) has taken half of the homestead crew to see bts so listen like it was it was true the whole time but uh <laughs> but with with dorian electra uh i when i first saw the career boy video i was like oh yeah this is this is what i like this is this was made almost literally for me 
and while I was like trying to decide what my next video would be about after the boys don't cry video, I was like, well, I, I knew I needed to make that one. Where, where am I going to go from here? I was just listening to that album on repeat and I was like, there's a lot in here that I could talk yeah. about. That video was a lot of work. First of all. Yeah. It seems like it, the, you, you, you did subtitles for all of the, the lyrics, right? Yeah, I don't know why I I did that. About halfway through, I was like, I kind of don't feel like doing this anymore. <laughs> well, it's it's uh it's a good it's a good touch. I appreciate that because I literally can't hear lyrics when I'm listening to music. Right. That's that's something I was thinking about. I I I knew that especially with how Dorian Electra's music sounds sometimes. Mm, yeah. It's not always clear behind all the auto tune and the loud noises. It's it's funny that we we st- we started talking about Dorian Electra by talking about Homestuck because a little while, just a couple weeks before this video came out, I was in North Carolina for the Perfectly Generic Podcast live show mm-hmm. with a bunch of people who work on Homestuck stuff. Uh, and this was the same week that Homestuck 2 launched. And um, while I was hanging out at their house, they showed me a couple of Dorian Electra videos and I had never heard of them before and so i was blown away by these videos i didn't hear the lyrics at all but i was just like wow aesthetically this is incredible and it's amazing that this exists and then i kind of just went home and didn't think about it and then lo and behold here comes boy form one of my favorite up-and-coming video essays with a video about dorian electra and it's really insightful i mean the album does all the work for me uh, that's kind of, that's kind of why I have that sort of tongue in cheek title card. It was, it, I think it just says explaining flamboyant, but if I had yes. more space, it would have been, uh, I explain flamboyant to you. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's, that's really all it is. The album already is the essay and I just have to like explain it. Uh, though I did get, I did get some people telling me that, uh, I, I neglected to mention how homoerotic man-to-man is, which mm. I, I didn't do that because that, that seemed like the text of the song to me, and I wanted to talk about the subtext. Right. But apparently, like, uh, other music reviewers had just not been mentioning it because they were like, oh, it's a song about dude problems. I have dude mm. But they're not gay, so they don't relate to the gay stuff. Uh, yeah. I th- I think that helps me a lot that I'm that I'm bisexual and I'm I'm coming at this from a very from a from a very queer and and feminist background cuz that's that's not the case with every trans guy obviously. I th- I think by being queer I already have less restrictive ideas of what it means to be a man and it, I'm sure it also helps that I I did grow up I I got like blessed to grow up with a strong male role model by you know my dad literally still being married to my mom and being a very sort of classical father with liberal values and a transgender mother but you know the stoic sort of like man of the house (laughs) who uh doesn't really emotionally open up because he's an aquarius uh (laughs) 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 <laughs> right <laughs> but you know it I, I don't know how i got on on this topic but you know having a dad that i can text to to be like hey how do i shave my face is something that i consider <sighs> quintessential in 
you know, me knowing what path to man. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that I, uh, I, I, I wish I had. And I know a lot of, a lot of people wish that they had, like, that's an, that's an incredible experience to have. I, I know I'm, I'm, I, it, it haunts me how lucky I am. Uh, yeah. I, I, I hate that. I know that specific emotion, the like, Oh, I hate knowing how it haunts me, how lucky I am. Cause there's, there's a number of ways that that's true for me as well, where it's like, it, it really shouldn't be the case that this thing is what we would call luck. Uh, I, I take some, some solace in, in the fact that uh, my dad is a high school teacher. Who's like one of the, one of the arts teachers. So he teaches electives for like teens who want to be there. Uh, so like these, these teenagers who have, have problems at home or, you know, are, don't, don't trust the other authority figures at school. They, they can come in and, and they get to share my dad with. Them. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Getting back to the Dorian Electra video a little bit, like mm-hmm. I, you say that the, the album does all the work for you. I feel like a lot of really good media analysis is just laying out the the direct interpretation that you have of the text based on the most obvious surface level things because in my experience that that stuff is still not something that a lot of people take in and that is to me essential entry level media analysis uh for for a viewer because i don't know it just it's it's you're doing a lot of work that isn't I think something that people have a problem with sometimes is when you're making several logical leaps to get to your point where you're you're building your your thought process on multiple theories, I guess. And so starting from a base level of like, this is just the text and here is the subtext based on the lyrics and you're like you lay it out on a case by case basis in a direct way and you build the narrative with the album and I think that's incredibly effective and you shouldn't downplay like the, the, how, how like valuable that is. I think, thank you for that. And I, I think it's really interesting that you, that you put it that way by just like putting words to what looks obvious in the symbology, because mm-hmm. one of, one of my other primary interests is astrology. And I, I don't bring it up in, in my videos partially because I don't know, I, I assume my audience mostly anti-theist right but it's it's very important to the way that my brain works and the way that i conceptualize the the progress of time interesting when when you're when you're looking at a chart when you're trying to like read a a chart for somebody there's a lot of different things that that collection of of symbols can mean like what the planets are and where in the sky they are in relation to each other right that's what you're looking at when you're looking at a chart and you can, like, let's say if you were looking at, like, a solo return chart that had, like, Mars in the third house or something, you could ask the client a bunch of questions like, oh, were you, were you having trouble writing or connecting with your, with your neighbors, et cetera, and, and thinking about all these in-depth interpretations that you could do based on what sign it's in and how things are configured to Mars, et cetera, and you can get very granular with it. But then the client will say something like, no, but my brother did get sick. And you're like, oh, 
Malefic, Third House, The Third House's Siblings. Oh, my God. That was literally the most textbook and most <laughs> stereotypical reading I could have possibly done, and I just overdid it completely. So that that's very interesting that you that you describe sort of media analysis that way, because all it really is, it's literally the same thing as astrology, because all you're doing is putting words to symbols. Yeah. So if, if your brain speaks the language of those symbols, whether it's, whether it's astrology or whether it's cinema, whether it's music, you're just describing the feeling that the symbols are giving you and the context that they're in, in a way that's more digestible as this is what thing. Hmm. I had never thought of that before. The, the connection of uh, astrology and media analysis as being the same thing, because that's inarguably true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I don't, I, I, just to be upfront, like I'm not, I'm not into astrology at all. I, I understand. It's, but it's like an analogy I'm drawing. Right. No, 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 no. I, 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 I respect it. I'm not the kind of person, I know a lot of people who will like kick the door down and say astrology is awful, bad, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm not that kind of person. I, I, it's, it's never been something that really made sense to me, but I also don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm I'm a materialist in many ways, but I'm not a materialist when it comes to uh, things like astrology or uh, yeah, now I'm just digging myself into this weird esoteric well, hole. That's okay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to try to, to convince you or your listeners that astrology is real, but on, on the topic that it can, it can be considered a very similar discipline to media studies. Like the, the planets are named after gods and the signs are named after characters. And uh back back at the at the very beginning astrology was just the the playing out of those characters in various stories and various settings it it was just storytelling that you know you assumed divine providence or the passage of time was bestowing upon you rather than one written by humans but it was written by humans because it was interpreted by humans i guess now i'm going a little bit further off on the tangent but the point is that astrology is a story so why wouldn't interpreting it as a story be the same yeah no that's a very good point it's interesting because this kind of merges with uh a conversation that i had with big joel recently where um i posted something about fan fiction and canonicity something i don't know that's been a big conversation in the homestuck fandom lately yeah it's what the narrative's about now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he had replied to that tweet with something, and I saw it, but then he deleted it. Uh, so I messaged him, and we had this conversation about how, like, the, the difference between reading into a text in terms of, like, its political meaning versus having headcanons. And I kind of arrived at this conclusion that saying these two characters are gay, even though it's not present in the text, is is essentially operating on the same process. Uh, yeah, the same process as uh, saying 
you know, the works of the McElroy brothers are inherently communist, even though it's not explicit in the text. It's just that the meaning in one case, the the, the text that we're reading is like the, the overall, like the, the whole of the text. Whereas when it comes to headcanons about specific characters and their relationships, the text that we're reading, quote unquote, is the way that their relationship is depicted. And it's it's the, it's the reason I think why June Egbert, which is the the transgender John Egbert protagonist of Homestuck, why that headcanon became so popular that it's now just canon, because that is a story. Like I've I've said I've said this in a number of places that like reading John as trans to me feels like his arc as a character or their arc as a character. Like seeing it play out as as because I've always identified with John. I've done videos about this. It just feels right. And it's it wasn't intentional, likely, but it it's it's present in the narrative of that character. And you can read into it the same way that you would any other text. Yeah. Well, in in both of those cases, both both in headcanons and and you know, when you're looking for the political meaning behind a text uh in in both cases you're you're still sort of digging for canon evidence right you're you're digging for something to to base your assumption on so there's there's still like a link to canon that you're that you're trying to preserve but i suppose with the with the head canon at at least with jude egbert it could be interpreted that john's arc didn't ever really come to a satisfying conclusion Mm-hmm. And you know, Homestuck as a narrative is very like pro continuing the narrative. Yeah, the difference there between that and saying like uh, Jane is an allegory for Trump is whether it's just meant to be like a reading of the text as a whole, whether it's meant to be like a "what if this kept going" sort of thing. Is that am I sort of on the right track here? What you're talking about? Um. I'm not I'm not entirely sure what, what you mean in terms of like is are are you, like the difference between reading into everything that exists so far versus looking into it as something that will continue or I I guess it's sort of like if I had written the story this is what I would have done differently I suppose Right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. I tend to operate from, you know, the text is what it is. And from a production standpoint, I am fine with looking at how the text could have been made differently in arguably better ways, although I do not believe in like measures of objective quality. But when it comes to like textual analysis, I feel like it once you start pushing into how could things be done differently, then it starts to get into hairy territory evidence wise. Well, exactly. Hmm. 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 So is there There's... functionally a difference? I'm not sure. It yeah, might I don't be know. kind of the same thing. <laughs> it's all kind of the same thing. The the way that I always the, there are so many conversations about canonicity and homestuck, and I like how we're just here anyway. In the Homestuck hole, as always. This is just my <laughs> life now. Well, it's your fault I'm back in the Homestuck hole. You wrote such a good piece oh. of fiction about it. 
Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're back in the Homestuck hole because I I'm, didn't actually it's, it's read the place. epilogues until after I'd started reading Godfields. Oh, wow. That's really uh, yeah. funny. I got a little bit confused about which Dirk did which things, but... <laughs> right, yeah. It's honestly not that different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, there is this ongoing debate because Andrew Hussey released this letter basically saying, like, the future of Homestuck is in the fandom's hands and more or less everything is canon based on the tenets of... Oh, see, I was like, no, I shouldn't mention them. No, I'm going to mention them. I can't remember what they are. Fuck. doesn't matter. There's there's ideas about what what the measure of canonicity is within. Like, oh, fanworks. yeah. It's like it's, it's like tr- true truth, relevance and es- truth, relevance and essentiality. Thank you. Yeah, that's what it and is. there is this conversation going on now. And I've seen it on forums since in a number of ways. Homestuck has become my job. I uh, I've like. I, I, I've just been in present for so many of these arguments about people being nervous about what counts as canon, where there, there are people saying like this fan fiction is, is I believe it is canon versus this, or am I wrong for thinking that only the things produced officially are canon? And for me, it's like, just chill, just chill, just step back. Just like, it doesn't matter. It is what it is. I'm, I'm on board with you with that. Cause I've been, I've been reading, uh, the ink black appendices. Yeah. Uh, and that, that whole story, number one, it's like, it could just has easily been Rose. And number two is like, y'all literally do not need to be obsessing about the numerical value of the canonicity of any given piece of Homestuck fiction. Yeah. To a certain point, as long as you're telling a story, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Whether it's canon. Yeah. And I also, I look at it in terms of, there's been decades of superhero comics and across the Spider-Man line, there have been so many writers and artistic teams and everybody has their favorite run and everybody builds their own canon regardless of what Marvel says. And there are still arguments in the Star Wars fandom about the best books, even though the, the extended universe is no longer canon thanks to Disney my next video is probably going to be actually about this subject of like copyright and canonicity as a means of controlling popular narratives Extremely throughout history. Good. And I'm so um, here for <laughs> <laughs> glad to hear it. A lot of people have been, I, I always, I never know if my video ideas are onto anything. And whenever I tell people about them and they're like, Oh, that's a, that sounds interesting. I'm like, Oh good. I'm glad somebody is interested <laughs> in the same shit I am. But, uh, it is explicitly saying this is canon, this is not, is a means of controlling popular narrative. It uh, is. In the same way oh, of shit. like uh, when Nintendo sues fan game makers, they're saying, no, we are in control of what Mario's story is and is not. And you are breaking a cardinal law by creating your own version of that. Yeah, that's not just death of the author. That's that's killing the author. Yeah, exactly. And so the, there is something kind of radical about the about Homestuck's approach to uh, canon, where they, you know, the, the creator of Homestuck has said, like, it's all there. It's all canon. There is, of course, the the issue of like Viz Media owns the Homestuck property. Uh, the like the epilogues, while they are formatted like a fan fiction, they are still hosted on Homestuck.com, which is not yeah. true of any other fan fiction. And there's there's always going to be people 
who, when they're talking about Homestuck, they're going to bring up things that happen in canon, and what they're going to mean is what's in the comic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I I won't 100% buy into the textual everything is canon no matter what thing until Homestuck goes under like a Creative Commons license, which I have my is doubts. Is that going to happen? Whether- I, I, there's a lot of, there, there have been conversations about it. I, the, the, of course the legal problem is that, that Viz owns the, uh, owns the, excuse me, owns the rights. Yeah. But that would mean, would that mean that anyone could make like merch as well? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I, I wish, I wish that I've written now almost 125,000 words of Homestuck fan fiction and it's only going to go up because I have plans Oh my gosh. Uh, it, is, it is just eaten my brain. It is a brain worm. And there is a part of me that's like, why can't I do this with my original fiction? Because at least that I can sell. And it is, it is, it is a shame that there is this hard line uh between like the, the, the I don't know. We're all in we're all building narratives. Whenever you're writing fiction, you're building a narrative based on the the blocks that you've gained from your life experience. Yeah, like whether whether it's based on a on an existing property or not, but when it is based on an existing property, like even especially if it's Homestuck, you can't just like f- do a Fifty Shades of Grey and like swap out the names for different names. Right. It's always going to be Homestuck. That's the thing. People have asked me like, "Have you thought about filing off the serial numbers and like publishing it in its own way?" And I'm like, "The the whole damn thing is see just serial number." Like it's uh, there's no there's no wiping Homestuck off of it because it's built on the foundation of the comic and the epilogues and, and the all of the like, and the pesterlog and the ideas. There's so many things that it's explicitly like there's just no way for it to work that way. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we uh, we said we weren't going to talk about Homestuck and then we did. And now the podcast is over. Um, I, I was never going to actually follow through with that. There was no way. Oh, no, me either. It yeah. always comes back to that these days. You'd think that now that I'm also the host of a Homestuck podcast, I would I would have it out of my system. <laughs> system. But it's it's no, it's never out of my system. It's actually like it's an echo chamber where the more you talk about it, the more you want to talk about it. Yeah, it just, it just gets worse the further de- further you fall into the hole. And my boyfriend hasn't read it. Can you imagine? Oh no, my girl. I made my girlfriend read it. Uh, she she read the whole thing in like two weeks so she could read my fan fiction. God, what a that's what a an trooper. undertaking. Gosh. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It. I don't understand how she did it, but she did. Anyway, uh, Dylan, where can people find your stuff? Uh, so my YouTube channel is called Boyform. That is B-O-Y-F-O-R-M. One word on YouTube. If you put it in like the user slash, it will not take you there. I have a dumb user handle. My Twitter is at InBoyform with no spaces. And my Patreon is Boyform as well. Also, do you mind if I plug my surgery fund? Oh, yes, please do. I have some mysterious pelvic pain that happens to a lot of people who end up on testosterone and one of the only ways to fix it is a hysterectomy i have a surgery fund on gofundme as my pinned tweet on my twitter so if you want me to feel better you should donate to it yeah people should absolutely do that well 
Dylan, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a very unstructured conversation. That's okay. <laughs> I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay. 